Hello, everyone, and welcome back to One on One, New York's longest running sports call and show alongside Nick Guzman. This is Tom Silo, and we are joined today by the 1991 Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl 26 MVP. He was a two time Pro Bowler in 1989 and 1991, leading the then Washington Redskins to NFL glory. I am pleased to be joined by Mark Rippon. Mark, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to have you. Nick and Tom, it's a, a pleasure too. Thank you for having me and uh, I get a chance to uh, share a little bit about golf and football and all the things going on in the world. <laughs> well, I don't know about all the things going on in the world. That's, that could take a long time. Absolutely. And you talk about football and golf, but let's start when your younger days, you were born in uh, Calgary and Alberta, which is a region of Canada, but you ended up moving to Spokane, Washington, where you played football basketball and baseball in high school. When did you start picking up uh, any sort of ball to play a sport and which one did you like as you were just starting out? Well, being, being from Canada, moving to the U.S., my, my dad felt it was an opportunity. Both my brothers are, are, are baseball players, both played on the Canadian national baseball team. Uh, brother Tim played five years in the Toronto Blue Jay organization. Uh, my brother Dave played in the Olympics in Seoul, Korea in 1988. So we come from athletic family. My sister, uh, Shannon, played volleyball, basketball, went on to community college and played. My brother, Dave, played at Gonzaga University. And brother, Tim, played, started out playing University of Creighton baseball and then uh, transferred back to a junior college and then went into the draft and played five years in the Toronto Blue Jay organization. So I always thought that baseball would be uh, my calling, you know, and I, and I love the game. You know, my dad brought us up when we were kids when I think the mitt was bigger than uh, – than we were, you know, and he just had us playing ball at an early age. And, um, you know, as I got, as I grew older, I, I still loved the game, played the game. It's just when you, when you can't hit or throw a curveball, you know, your days, days are kind of numbered. So, um, you know, we had, I had some success and baseball was definitely something I looked at maybe in, in college. Basketball was probably my favorite sport to play because you're always active. You're always doing something. And, um, you know, we won the state championship my senior year in high school. My claim to fame in basketball is I held uh, Hall of Famer John Stockton to 32 points a game. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was right in, right in that jock strap, you know, saying, yeah, I got you. And kid was an amazing player, a great, good friend uh, to this day. And uh, he was kind of the one that got, I think, Gonzaga on the map originally with, with um, uh, Dan Fitzgerald being the coach and Mark Few being on that staff. And then Mark Few taking over from Dan Monson and, of course, Mark Few doing what he's done at Gonzaga now, but I love basketball. It was just kind of, and matter of fact, yeah, I got a, a great uh, uh, kind of appraising from George Ravlin, who was a coach at Washington State. He said, man, this kid could play down here at WSU, but I went to WSU and played football, which is my least favorite of all sports, but because uh, of the contact, I wasn't much into you know, getting hit or, or hitting anyone. So, um, but I had a lot of prowess and I, I, I was very successful and did some good things and went on, had a career at Washington State. Uh, I wouldn't say we did the things that pro teams did. In college, we kind of ran the, a bit of an option. We threw the ball a little bit, but we had some, um, you know, I, I don't think we had the talent. You know, it's hard to recruit in Pullman as is in USC or Oregon or places like that, you know, where they have a bigger talent pool. But we did well. You know, we were six and five, uh, five and six and seven and four when I was there. Went to the Holiday Bowl my freshman year and, um, but our big rivalry was University of Washington playing against them. So 
football gave me an opportunity in college to, uh, you know, extend my career in the pros, you know, gave me a chance to get an education at WSU and then have an opportunity and a chance to uh, play at the pro level. I was drafted by the, the Redskins, like Tom Brady and I were both six round draft picks and, and I uh, went on to have a 13 year career and just uh, very, very blessed and fortunate to have played with the guys I played with coach Gibbs and everyone else. And, and to be, uh, have the opportunity to play in two Super Bowls. So I, I was there on the sidelines as Doug Williams led us to Super Bowl 22 against the uh, Denver Broncos in San Diego. And then I was fortunate enough to be the guy at the helm in 91, 92, where, uh, was an amazing year for us, arguably maybe considered one of the greatest football teams in the history of the NFL at 91, 92 season based on points and points allowed and all the criteria that they crunch, all the numbers they crunch. But more importantly, it was just a great group of guys to be around. Yeah. And the Redskins, now the commanders took you in the sixth round of the 1986 NFL draft. You're kind of seen throughout your career as more of an underdog. Was that like your mentality in the draft process? And what did being picked 146th overall mean to you? Well, I think, you know, the interesting part about um, uh, being a six round draft pick, you have all these, you know, experts saying, oh, you might go, you know, I might go in the second round, might go early in the second round, might go to the third round. By the, about the fourth round, I was, it was about, a, it was, they had the draft in one day at that, at, at that time. Uh, I remember going, being up at six in the morning when the draft, you know, started and that first round goes relatively quick kid uh teams know pretty much who they're going to pick then the second round is kind of anxious and then by the end of the second round and the third round I was just so exhausted and maybe a little upset and angry too but uh you know that comes with uh you know being a competitor and know that hey you can you can maybe service a team and be helpful to a team and and then um to um took a nap and then got a call from Joe Gibbs and I wouldn't say I was the most excited human in the world but I was excited to be drafted and and this was the year after Joe Theismann had broke his leg. Uh, Lawrence Taylor tackled him the year before, and he compound fractured his leg, and his career had ended. So I also felt maybe this is a good opportunity. I was a chance to sit and learn from two quarterbacks. Jay Schrader was a starter at the time. And, um, you know, being a six-round guy today, you're not going to get the reps. And I wasn't getting the reps, but I was able to learn, and I was able to stay a part of the organization for the, those uh, first two or three years and, and learn the system. So that when my chance came, uh, there was either one or two things were going to happen. I was going to be ready and, and hit, hit the ground running, or I didn't get it done and my days are going to be numbered. So I played well and did well enough early on in my third year to uh, earn the starting job. Uh, Doug had an appendectomy. I got a, a start in, um, 1988 against, uh, in October of 1988 against the, uh, uh, Phoenix Cardinals played well enough, played well off and on the next two years. And then, um, you know, Doug had retired and then kind of took the reins for the next four years and end up going to, uh, the uh, playoffs. We beat the Eagles after a body bag game and in 1990 and then 91, we came back and, and, uh, got revenge in the playoffs against the Eagles who beat us during the season. One of my first playoff games. And that's kind of how you're judged, you know, in the playoffs and, and in Washington, you know, whether fairly or not, um, you were judged on on winning Super Bowls. You know, we had two quarterbacks, uh, Joe Theismann and Doug Williams, that had won Super Bowls prior to that 91-92 season. So to our fans, anything less than going deep into the playoffs and winning Super Bowls was kind of like a, um, you know, a, a season that's lost. So anyhow, as it as it turned out, uh, you know, that 91 season, um, you know, we just hit the ground running and we got off to, I think, 11-0 start and and we kind of got uh, a reality slapped us in the face when 
Dallas came to our own home turf and, and beat us in Washington by I think two points. We had a chance at, or three points. We had a chance at the end uh, to tie it and, and fell short. And, and then we ran the tables again and went into uh, Philadelphia 14 and one. Uh, and I believe if we were 15 and zero, we probably would have played all of us throughout that game in Philadelphia to try to get the, the perfect record. But um, at the halftime, we're up against the Eagles and we shut her down to get ready for the playoffs and, 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 and let some other guys play. We end up losing by three points there. So we lost two games in that 91, 92 season, by I think a total of five points and then uh, ran the tables during the playoffs, beat the, the Falcons at home handily. Then the NFC championship game beat the uh, Detroit Lions 42 to 10. And then in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, it was kind of uh, unfortunate for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, they made four Super Bowls, had great players, great talent. They made four straight Super Bowls. They should have won the, uh, the Super Bowl the year before. They missed a field goal right at the end and lost to the uh, New York Giants. And then we kind of humbled them the, the following year where they came in the favorites and beat them 37-24. Then Dallas beat them twice after that. So the NFC East during that time was very strong. I mean, we had players like Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White, um, guys you'll hear about in history of the, the NFL is maybe arguably two of the greatest players to play defense. And you got, you know, Aaron Donald, it's uh, obviously very good and, and players of that, of that stature, but Lawrence Taylor's, I think, and arguably so the greatest uh, defensive football player, you always had to have a game plan against him. Um, and a lot of times it was double teams and even double teams always didn't get the, uh, the result you're looking for. I love how you compliment division rival Lawrence Taylor after just bestowing his, his presence on the Washington Redskins. But I want to go back a little bit to your Super Bowl run. In the process, you somehow managed to beat Deion Sanders, Emmett Smith and the Cowboys, and you beat Jim Kelly in the Super Bowl. So gauntlet after gauntlet game. How do you as a quarterback and the leader of especially the offense, how do you sort of rally the troops to rise to the challenge and especially going up against names that really echo in NFL history as we look back on it now and you think, wow, I beat those guys to win a Super Bowl. Well, I, I didn't beat anyone. You know, we beat, uh, I had to play well in order for us to beat uh, the Cowboys and the, uh, the Bills. But um, we as a team, I mean, had a very focused group, very smart group of guys, both on the defense and offensive side that were challenged each and every week. Uh, but with our game plans and our game plans weren't so simplistic. They're were very uh, complex to a point where we had at least an edge on defenses because of all our shifting and motions and the things we did Our check with me is the line of scrimmage, a lot of levity that I was given to um, change plays and, and uh, the coaching staff trusting me to do so. Uh, we had an advantage because then we could basically put teams into a vanilla type defense where they couldn't do their, uh, blitzes and their, their blitz packets that they wanted to do and were successful with against other teams because we had to get, you know, they had to be stable. They couldn't be shifting and motioning and doing all the things that we were doing. And if they're in man-to-man -man with blitzes, somebody doesn't find a, uh, their, their, their blitz pickup. You know, you got a guy walking scot-free down the, down the field. So uh, I think that's one of the things that we was, was advantageous to us is that we got teams to play a little bit more of a vanilla defense and then we felt also with our running game and and our our hogs we we're known as the hogs and they were back uh, had their own name our offensive line and as a quarterback you're only as good as the guys up front and our guys were uh, incredible and made my job a lot easier you know and we ran the football well we brought safeties up to the line of scrimmage and we had um the the three receivers called the posse 
and uh, make sure you pronounce that properly. The posse was, uh, um, you know, our group of guys that really made uh, a difference. They were playmakers. And once they started bringing safeties up to stop the run, uh, it was kind of like uh, Katie Bar to the door. We just kind of opened up and we made uh, a number of plays, probably 40 plays of over 20, 25 yards that year, which was incredible just to make amends on just maybe half of those. But we were able to do so in a way that uh, big play was came because we were able to run the football. Yeah. And in that 1991 season, both, you know, Art Monk and Gary Clark had thousand yard seasons. How are you able to develop such, such chemistry with those guys and really only your third full year as a starter? Well, what's, what's amazing is our offense did not say that, Hey, we're going to showcase Gary Clark today. We're going to showcase Art Monk today. We're going to showcase Ricky Sanders today. We're going to have those three Ricky Sanders, Gary Clark and Art Monk in our system and defenses depict where the ball goes to. So based on coverage and where they're rolling and, and they don't, it, it's difficult when you have one, if you, if you have one guy, you can roll your coverage to that guy. Uh, like a lot of teams do in the NFL when they have one great receiver like Devonte Adams or players of that nature, uh, Stefan Diggs, you know, you can roll your coverage to that side, knowing that you got help on a player of that caliber. That still doesn't mean they're not going to get the ball to, to uh, those players, but with us, it's you could roll your coverage to one guy. You roll your coverage, we're going the opposite direction. That's what the the, the scheme and the Joe Gibbs system did. And, and one of the greatest coaches at an offensive minds who uh, was taught under Don Coryell. And if you go back in history, Don Coryell was uh, uh, one of the great icons in, in in professional football and kind of changed some of the games, as did Bill Walsh in the uh, – uh, the 49ers system that they, uh, the West coast offense, it was uh, up at the time. So basically just, you know, you just kind of read the safeties where the safeties rolled to the coverage where it went to, and that's the receiver you went to. And when you have the field spread out, like we did, it made it difficult to cover, you know, Gary Clark or uh, Art Monk or Ricky Sanders. And that's why they're able to have great years. And then of course you have protection. Uh, again, you can throw as many balls as you want, but when you're throwing, you guys know, just out there playing, if you got someone right in your face, it's hard to, hard to, throw the ball 10 yards so if you got a clean pocket and uh, they knew I wasn't a scrambling quarterback they knew where the pocket was and and I was going to be in that vicinity uh you could be successful so so Mark we talk about obviously the pocket quarterback and standing essentially in one spot throwing a football and today now you have to be a dual threat I guess which is a testament to the modernization and evolution of NFL football how, this is a little bit more of a fun question, but how would you think someone like Lamar Jackson or a Dak Prescott would fare in your era of the NFL? And what do you think could maybe deter them from being the players that we know them as today? Well, I, I think um, th th that's a, it's a great question because I have a, I have a, I have a different outlook to that. I think there's a Dak Prescott that is, is very comfortable as is a Lamar Jackson uh, of being in the pocket. Now their, their talent and their escapability allows them to uh, make plays when, when things break down. And when you have free agency in both uh, the NFL, which we didn't have back then, we had, a, you know, you basically did things together. And for that six, seven years, eight years, I was in Washington, we did things on and off the field together. You got to know there's a consistency about your offense that you knew and the offensive line and the guys were going to be there each and every year. So when you start plucking out left guards and right tackles or left tackles and right guards and centers out of your, your, uh, your offense, um, that brings a new level of learning for someone else that's coming in and filling that spot. So when they come in to do so, you're not maybe all on the same page 
as you would be if you're playing together for five, six, seven years. And because of that, I think quarterbacks would inevitably like to just be in the pocket and make things happen in the pocket, but things break down and defenses are a little bit more, um, uh, I, I say diverse than they were back in when I played. I mean, they're doing zone blitzes now where they're bringing these guys off the, uh, the edges, these corners and safeties off the edges, and they're dropping linemen into coverage. There's a lot more diversity in defenses than there was when uh, in, in, the, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when I played. So I think those tangibles, all those things, makes a, a quarterback have to adjust on the, uh, on the run and, and, and make a play sometimes when – cover pass coverage breaks down and and uh you're forced to you know get out and try to make something happen so uh, but in, in a real world uh, all all offensive coordinators and most offensive coordinators i know are going to set their offenses up for a pockets type type format and then of course when things break down they got to be able to adjust and some of these guys are amazing at it uh Mahomes and russell wilson and um you know, uh, Josh Allen. I mean, you know, those guys are incredible at making plays when, when things break down. So good, good for them, and and good for and Lamar Jackson, obviously too. And um, and that's just kind of the quarterback, uh, the, the position right now is, is to have that escapability. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be kind of lost, but you know, but and, and but then I, I don't think I'd be lost in a way because now you look at a Tom Brady. There's there's the the devil's advocate there. You know, Tom Brady's not going to get outside the tackles. And uh, he's going to step up and make things happen. And Ben Roethlisberger is another guy, big, strong guy. that's going to sit in the pocket and make things happen in the pocket. So to each is their own. And uh, they're going to do something, you know, they're going to set up uh, their, their, their pass coverage and some of their things based on that. But other, other teams know that if you got a guy like uh, with the athleticism that uh, Mahomes and those guys have, that it's going to be, um, you, you have a, you know, an added advantage in some areas. Mark, you first retired after the 97 season. You spent three seasons on the sidelines, then you came out of retirement at age 39. What inspired that decision, and why was it just the one year before you decided to call it quits again? Well, in, in, in 1997, I, I'd signed a contract in um, 97 with the Atlanta Falcons. Actually, when the 97 season, I played in, in uh, St. Louis. And during that time, my, my son was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And in 97, uh, you know, we did our, all our treatment with him, you know, going through his, his uh, treatments at uh, St. Louis and Barnes Jewish Hospital, which what Children's Hospital, by the, by the way, is amazing. And, and it was a great experience. And then we came home after the 98 season, uh, 97 season, 1998, uh, to do his later, later part of his treatment in Spokane. Because interestingly enough, Spokane's um, uh, treatment that they had was more aggressive than, than the one they had in St. Louis. So they used the oncology protocol from the uh, oncology department here in Spokane to treat Andrew in, in uh, uh, Barnes-Jewish. So when uh, we left uh, the Rams and came back in, in, in 98 to be home at start of it, uh, January, Andrew was done with his last treatment. And at that point in time, uh, we did another treatment called radiation seeds. We put in his, into his uh, tumor bed of his brain and they had an expectancy of about 65 days and it seemed to be working. But unfortunately in um, 19 or in June of 1998, he uh, had another seizure and found out that his tumor had come back and he, and he passed away and succumbed in, in, in uh, August of, of 1998. Um, from that, you know, we, we did some, I did some 
things with charity. I started the Ripon Foundation to honor Andrew and help families that uh, have their children that are going through treatment. But in 1998, um, you know, I kind of felt at that point in time, it was uh, time to hang things up. Spent uh, three years, kind of retired. And then I got a call from Bill Polian in, in Indianapolis asking me if I, you know, would consider coming out there and they weren't happy with their their backup quarterback position to Peyton Manning. I said, absolutely. So I flew out there and threw the ball and hadn't thrown a ball in a couple of years and, and was in pretty good, you know, pretty good shape uh, at that point in time and threw the ball around and they signed me to a one-year contract. And I played in 2001 with Peyton Manning. And then uh, after that, I actually had a stint the following season for two preseason games, the Seahawks, but um, uh, the injury that Trent Dilfer had during the preseason wasn't as bad as they thought. So uh, I would have probably been a Seahawk for another year after that. But uh, basically at that point in time, you know, I'm uh, in, in your career, you're kind of labeled a, a backup, which by the way, is not a bad, bad thing to be, <laughs> you know, in the NFL, you're going to protect yourself and, and uh, not have to worry. And you're going to hear all the, all the negative that's happening to the guy, if the guy isn't playing well, and you're going to try to support your, you know, your, your starting quarterback at that time. And, and the great thing about Peyton in, in 2001, he knew I wasn't a threat to, compete for the job I was just very cerebral like himself you know talk about x's and o's and that was his his shtick so uh him and I just kind of got along real well and and uh you know I, I, I like to tell people that I taught him everything I knew and left and that was it and take it from here young man and he did pretty well I think you know so but that's not the case he's a very talented very um bright uh, quarterback and obviously hall of famer that uh, just was amazing at what he did so it was nice to be a, a part of and, and, and support someone of, uh, of that caliber. So one more question from me, Mark. You get sure. to hang out with people like Peyton Manning on a field, but you also get to play against these sort of celebrities in a golf course. And you're going to be competing in the Club Corp Classic April 22nd through the 24th. Obviously, it's a celebrity golf tournament. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is going to be there, Tony Romo, a lot of big names, Emmett Smith. There's a number of other ones I'm missing. I think Ray Allen's also in it, and you're going to be in it as well. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because I remember reading about it, and I've watched it a couple times. It's always a lot of fun, but what is that experience with those group of people and that sort of aura of human being like? Well, first first and foremost, it's also a Champions Tour uh, event, which oh. is one of their Charles Schwab Cup points events. So the, all the the legends of the, the game of golf, the guys that I actually grew up with, you know, the... Uh, Colin Montgomery's, you know, uh, uh, the Mark Alcavecchia's, uh, John Daly's, the players that you know I watched when I was, uh, you know, going through sports and and, and uh, envisioning, you know, golf and playing like, uh, you know, those guys and, and Bernhard Longers and players of that nature, Freddie Couples and such. They all, they're actually having their their tournament that same coincides with ours. So it's a celebrity slash uh, Charles Cup Schwab, Charles Schwab Cup points. Uh, event for the uh, champions tour so to be rubbing arms with those guys and kind of picking their brain you know because we all want to get better on the golf course and then to have the uh, fun and camaraderie of the baseball guys whether it be mark Mulder or the, uh, marty fish in the tennis world or kevin millar um in the, in, in the baseball world uh, uh the hockey guys jeremy ronick's a good friend um and mike badano you know great great golfers great hockey players uh um, Brian Baumgartner from the entertainment world, uh, one of the better golfers out there, Jack Wagner will be there. So there's a, a, a lot of guys that, and then there's a lot of real celebrities like Larry, the cable guy, it, the, you know, the odds of him winning the tournament are very high. I mean, 500 to one, 
for him to win the tournament, you know, but Larry's a, a big hit. Um, and we all know him and his, uh, his, his, his uh, humor, you know, and especially this time of the, in our lives, humor is a great thing to have. And, and we all need to, uh, you know, channel our, the inner humor that we have and be able to do so. And he brings a great element to that. And so, you know, the Las Colinas uh, Country Club in Irving, Texas, a great, great challenge. Uh, Mike Flasky, a good friend of mine is uh, with Mike Flasky Entertainment is, uh, you know, put on this event and he started the one, the Brian Gay classic about 10 years ago, Brian Gay uh, uh, charity event in Orlando, which, you know, went to a senior tour event now is the, is the uh, champions, uh, all the champions of the LPGA gathered in January and they honor the, all the champions from the two previous two years, along with celebrities, they played there. And this is Mike Flasky's uh, 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 idea and he's a great ambassador for this. So uh, it's just awesome to, to, to play golf and compete in something else, you know, whether it's I'm playing cribbage with my kids or uh, golf on a golf course with my brothers or in a tournament like this, it's always good to have some good ribbing and fun and then also raise money for uh, great causes across the, across the world. That's one of the great things you find out about golf and my foundation, we have the foundation, the golf tournament we had, uh, the amount of, of money you're able to raise through golf and, and the great effect that golf has on, on people's lives, and especially COVID too. This COVID has been difficult and a lot of people have said, you know, COVID has saved their lives. Being able to be out in nature and be out with their friends and and play golf uh, is really, and it's also boom. The industry is boom because of it. So I welcome anyone to come out and, and watch a couple hacks. You know, as players, I I love the game. I play at a pretty good level. Nothing to let to where these uh, guys in the Champions Tour play too. But I like to compete against uh, you know the Mark Molders, the Marty Fishes. Um, you know, the Vinny Del Negros who won Lake Tahoe last year and congratulations to Vinny and, and, uh, all the guys, you know, that are there, that uh, are there to help charity. And of course, Ray Allen, Marcus Allen, uh, both in their own world, great celebrities and, and great golfers and great ambassadors for the game of golf. And, um, just, it's all, all also wonderful to catch up and see what they're doing in their daily lives and, and say hello and, and, and do it for a good cause. Well, I want to once again, thank 1991 Super Bowl MVP, Mark Rippon, for joining us here today. Mark, thank you so much, and we appreciate the time. Nick and Tom, thank you guys. Appreciate it, and uh, cheers.